So first of all, good morning, and um, this is today is the 43rd day of the Omer. Today is uh, Yom Yerushalayim, 28th of year. Today, 52 years ago, we heard the news across the world and across, even for those who weren't born yet. Um, the whole world reverberated with the fact that Jews, for the first time since the Bar Kochba rebellion in the year 130, had control of Yerushalayim. It was a remarkable, remarkable state of, state of events. I believe that Yom Yerushalayim is the day Yom Yerushalayim was captured. This is the third day of the war, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, to, what I'd like to say, what I'd like to say is, is, is that today we're going to be learning a little bit about Yerushalayim, one perspective of Yom Yerushalayim. I'd like to first of all start off by thanking Mr. Tibi Schwartz, who's sponsoring the Zecher Nishmas Leah Bat Where's Tibi? Tibi, um, it should be Le'il Nishmas, your mother, whose yard site is today by Bayom. It's a special day, it's a holy day to, be, uh, to, to have a yard site amidst Hashem. It should be Le'il Nishmas. Also, like to thank uh, Mr. David Foyer, who is sponsoring Le'il Nishmas Rachel Bas Alter Chaim Binyamin for your mother, whose yard site is? Just yesterday. Just yesterday. That was, well, we, we missed you, Mr. Hashem. It should be Nishmas. And also in pride and recognition of your father's anniversary of D-Day uh, with part of the 82nd Airborne, June 6th coming up. Uh, it's uh, part of the reason why we had the people doing their shtadlis on the grounds, literally on the beach. We're proud, proud to be airborne, even, even, uh, even, even more terrifying. Um, where it is a tremendous chus to be part of that. And we also thank the Adlers who are sponsoring today, Lili Nishmas, Leah Dorit, Bas, Shimon, Ukraindel, which is um, Mrs. Leia Adler's um, Shloishim, which is hard to imagine that, um, that, it's, that it's the Shloishim for, for her, which is going to be tomorrow night, Rosh Kodesh Sivan, Nishmosa Aiden. Her Neshama should have continued earlier. We're going to learn this, this morning about the, we're going to look at two perspectives. This is a question I had a number of days ago, a number of months ago. <coughs> I'm trying to, I'm in the journey of trying to find the answer. So I'd like to journey with you as we try to find that answer. And that is that if we focus on the two times in our davening, in our siddur, that we focus primarily on Yerushalayim, there seems to be one predominant question, and that is, is the following. Let's just take a quick look at this. Sometimes we say this so frequently that we don't appreciate necessarily the significance of this. We say in the bracha in, in, in our Shemona Esrei, we just said it recently for those who are about to say it, what are we asking about? Hashem returned to, 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 to Jerusalem in Rachamim, in mercy, and dwell in it as you spoke about, meaning in all the prophecies, in the Torah and in the Vim, coming back to Yerushalayim, and you should make for it, build it soon as an eternal building. David in return the seat of David to it, very um, and establish it there. Baruch Hashem Hashem who is the builder of Yerushalayim. So it's a remarkable bracha. It's a bracha which we all resonate with. Same time, it's a few questions we could ask. But before we get the, to the question, let's appreciate it on its own ground. Who was the author of this bracha? Who wrote this bracha? So it's important, I think most people, when they go through the Siddur, they don't realize that there are different parts of the Siddur. So for instance, you know, in the Koren's Siddur, what they do is they have shoulder captions. So there's a column on the right and left-hand side where they play, put out where the sources are, 
where the psukim are. In the art scroll, if it's one pasuk, then they have footnotes. If it's a whole paragraph, they have a heading. They have a header as to where it comes from. When you don't have a header, when you don't have a footnote, and when you don't have a shoulder caption, what that means to say is it isn't a pasuk. This isn't a pasuk. This did not come from, from someplace in Tanakh, which means we, that means somebody composed it afterwards. Who composed it afterwards? <coughs> Who penned this? So the, the, the Gemara tells us that in, in Source 1, Amalei Rav Shmon bar Abba le Rabbi Yochanan, Michtei Anshei Knesses Hagdoyla, Tiknu Lahem Li Yisrael, Brachos, Tfilos, Kadushos, Vahavda Adolos. So the Gemara, the Gemara tells us that Anshei Knesses Hagdoyla were in charge of instituting a number of things, and among them were Brachos, and among them were Tfilos. Tfilos means the Amidah as we have it today, which means to say this goes back to the time of Anshei Knesses Hagdoyla. What made them think that this was significant? Why did they need to do this? After all, what did people do beforehand in Jewish history? Did they not daven beforehand? It seems to be a pretty clear command in the Torah to daven. So we go back to the, the Rishonim. What was actually going on over here? So there's a beautiful comment that Rabbi Benjamin Lau makes in, um, in the Sages, and he says the following. He says, the renewal of life in the land of Israel. Let's just put ourselves in, in context. This is during what's called the Second Commonwealth. This is when the Jews are now returning to the land of Israel under Persian mandate. They are allowed to build the second base of Migdash. This is when this is all happening. That's when Anshay Knesset Agdola lived. Members of the Anshay Knesset Agdola, this body of leadership, because there was no king at this point in time. We weren't allowed a king. We weren't a sovereign state. We were subservient Persian, Persian, Persian citizens at this point in time. So in, in lieu of leadership being a sovereign king, we actually had two leaders. We had a, a, a governor and a and a Kohen Gadol, which moved its way down. And we also had Anshek Nesadol which was this body of leadership. Including that body of leadership were people of the likes of? Who, who, who were people who were on that Anshek Nesadol So Shimon was the end. So Monachai, Chagai, Zachariah, Malachi, Ezra, Nehemiah, these folks were, were, were on this, this board, were on this, were on this presidium essentially. That, that governed the this, this state of what Israel would look like. So what made them, what at this point in time made them realize they needed to do this? So this is what Rav, Rav Lau says so beautifully. He says the renewal of life in source 2, it should only be 2. Now the renewal of life in the land of Israel spurred the leadership of, uh, uh, um, to actualize, spurred the leadership to actualize the teaching of the prophets as part of the religious reform. This required the enactment of edicts, decrees, and customs. The most well-known of those deal with the institutionalization of religious life. The men of the Great Assembly enacted blessings and prayers, sanctifications, and idolatry for Israel. This sentence from the Talmud embodies a wealth of material, concer uh, material concerning the activities of the men of the Great Assembly. The single phrase, blessings and prayers, encompasses almost the entirety of our religious world. Can a person be religious without reciting blessings and prayers? Our daily routine is almost inconceivable in their absence, since one's entire daily connection to Hashem is summed up in, the, in these two words, blessings and prayers. Think about how much time our day is spent doing that. Without a blessing or a prayer, we have no stable meeting point with, with, with Hashem, and we are left only with spontaneous overtures at times of grace or joy or heaven forbid of crisis. The men of the Great Assembly understood that the life of simple people, far from the temple, a rural farmer perhaps, had no spiritual dimension or possibility of touching the holy. 
They saw that only by formalizing the relationship between the individual and his creator would all the people have access to their inner work, their inner spiritual lives. Prayer and blessings have introduced a framework of basic <coughs> religious consciousness into the religious world of the layman. There was a revolution. That, this was a revolution that called upon every Jew to participate actively in the service of God rather than simply to rely on the knowledge that sacrifices were being offered in the temple on his behalf. Beautiful perspective. Think about what, they, what they're doing. What a remarkable thing. Were they davening beforehand? Were they saying brachas beforehand? Absolutely. But it was when a person came to it organically, when they experienced that moment in their life. And when they did, they said things. So for instance, the Gemara records when a person would eat bread, they would say, Brich Rachmana Dahai Pitta. Blessed be the God, Hashem, who created this bread. That's a very personal experience that they, that they are describing. Wonderful. But in the end of the day, what happens if you weren't feeling it that morning? You hadn't had your coffee yet. Right? So how would you experience? How would you be able to attune yourself to that, to, to that spiritual meridian? Wouldn't happen. And by the way, with any, any enactments, there's always a sacrifice. There's always a cost. Meaning what they're doing is they're forcing words down our throats as well. So it's not really us. So if you think about that, there's a, co- there's a cost-benefit. There's a, cost, uh, uh, there's a cost and there's a benefit. The cost is, on the one hand, it's not our words. The benefit is, if we'd wait for our words to happen, how, on, how frequently, honestly, would we ever get there? Maybe once a month, maybe? Right? So that's the balance that Anshay Knesset did. This is what, by the way, any regulation has the same, the same cost-benefit. Whenever you regulate something, you lose the spontaneity. You lose the buy-in to a certain degree, but at the same time, you get something, and that something might lead to allow us to be able to, to invest ourselves into it. That's what Hakanesh Zagdala were doing. What a remarkable revolution. Here's the question I have. The question is, is if you look at the text of this bracha, does it sound like Yerushalayim is built or not built? When we read the Shemona Esrei, which they wrote at the beginning of the second base Hamigdash, when there were Jews living in Yerushalayim, does it sound like it was built or not built? And it just sounds like it was not built. Wait a second. They were there. The Anshek Nesagdola, the authors of this bracha, were living in Yerushalayim for the most part. And those who weren't, you could travel there easily as part of the Persian kingdom. So, the Beis HaMikdash was built. Chagai was the one who actually pushed it to be built. So you're right. Some of the Anshek Nesagdola lived beforehand. So you, may, you may, so you may say, you know, you may say, you know, it was... It was in the anticipation. But before we get to any answers, I want to show you a, a similar pattern. Take it, take it back a few hundred years as well. Same question as well, as an example. Berkas Amazon. The third bracha of Berkas Amazon. We end the bracha on a similar note. Uvenei Yerushalayim irachah Yerushalayim Hashem Yerushalayim. Hashem who builds Jerusalem. Now, who is the author of the third bracha in the benching, once again, if you open up your Siddurim, there is one pasuk which is quoted in the benching, but there's nothing else which is quoted, which means somebody composed it outside of the actual text of the 24 books of Tanakh. Who composed the benching? The Gemara tells us very specifically that it was a historical progression, a remarkable historical progression. Let's take a look at this. The Gemara in Brachos, uh, which is on actually Memchesim base, for some reason I did not put the, the source in on this one. Sustains the world. He was reflecting a specific historical experience 
They were in the desert. They had nothing to eat. The bread fell from the Shemaim. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, Folks, let's thank Hashem who sustains the world. Remarkable. When we're saying those words, we are not simply saying about the food on our plate. We're saying that the food on our plate is reflective of Lechem in our Shemaim, which started off in the desert before they even arrived in the land of Israel. That's, that's bracha number one. Step one of the historical progression. Step two. Second bracha focuses on the fact that we have the covenant which is expressed through the land of Israel. We talk about the land, the beautiful land which Hashem gave to us. On the land and the food. And of course the food is connected to the land because this is the first time we could actually sow our own food in our land. And that's how it's connected. It's a remarkable thing. Who could say that? Well, the first person who actually entered the land could say that. That's Yoshua. Yoshua entered the land and he said, Folks, there's an extra dimension. We're not just getting sustenance from Hashem. We have the wherewithal to be able to do it. Let's thank Hashem for the land. That's stage number two of the progression. Stage number three of the progression. David Ushlom Atiknu Bonei Yerushalayim. David Tiken Al Yisrael Amchov Al Yerushalayim Irecha. Ushlom Atiken Al Abayis HaGodol HaKodosh. Uh, David, and, David and Shlomo enacted the third bracha, which was about Yerushalayim and about the base of Migdash. David about Yerushalayim, Shlomo about the, about the base of Migdash. And finally, the most actually the most enigmatic of the brachas is the third one, which is actually not biblical. And that is the fourth one. Thank you. The the fourth one was established uh, finally when the Haruge Beisar, those who were murdered in the Beitar Rebellion, the last of the Bar Kokhba bastions against the uh, the, um, the Romans under Hadrian, were killed at such a point. Their corpses were not allowed to be buried for a number of months. And when they were finally let to be buried, what day in the year was that? Tuba'av. That was one of the six reasons why we celebrate Tuba'av. This is when this, this was allowed, and that's why we say this fourth bracha. That's very strange. It deserves its own space and time. We're not going to get into the fourth bracha now. But be it as it may, what's fascinating is, is again, who are the authors of the third bracha of the benching about, about Yerushalayim and the Migdash is? David and Shlomo. But wait a second. Although David and Melech certainly didn't live at the times of the base of Migdash, Shlomo did. But if you're reading the bracha, it does sound like... It sounds like it's a, it's a yearning again for a Migdash, which might not yet be there. So it's, it, w- what's happening over here? I want to just do one, one, other, one other just a quick exercise. I think this is really remarkable. And that is, is that if you think about this, why is it that, you know, all I'm trying to do is eat my lunch, you know, in Grand Central Station before I get onto the train? Why am I talking about Israel and Jerusalem? <laughs> why is that? You know, he has Anjelik Nesek Dola, and they're telling me, Adavad Melech and... And, and, I'm, and I'm sort of, you know, this poor little Jew is being, you know, globally focused at this point in time. All I'm trying to do is have my bagel. Why is this, why is this, is this the way that we act? Why, why is our consciousness stretched all, this, all, all, all the time? So just really, just before we even get to some of the, the perspectives, here is, here is, here is what the Nehemiah Ral says. It's a remarkable thing. I think every single time we bench, we ought to be thinking about this, this, the, this, this, this sphere of consciousness. Here's what he says in, in four. This is in the Siva, in the Sivas Olam, in the Siva Avod. He says like the following. What has Jerusalem got to do with the food on our plate? He says, Hashem gave us three things, perhaps. We'll call it, we'll call, we'll, we'll call it um, uh, 
um, hierarchy of needs, maybe. Right? Before Maslow arrived at the scene. This is our pyramid of needs. He says, Number one is a person needs basic sustenance. That's what a person needs. Basic, basic level is we need something every, every three hours or so in order to be able to survive. Um, comfortably without complaining. <laughs> so then Hashem gives us not just survival, we're not just going from meal to meal, we also have space, we also have our own place. Think about that, you know, there's a difference between a person who is able to, to survive from, from meal to meal, and a person who has their own abode. The difference between perhaps, you know, a couple who are renting, and the moment that they're able to, to buy and be able to settle down. The difference between having space. That's number two. And he says, this is, It's not basic to essential living, but it's, it's, it's the revacha, it's the space to exist. That's the second revacha. Then Hashem invested not just survival, not just thriving, but also ultimate spiritual success, which is encompassed in the base of Mikdash. Says the Maharal, the ultimate success in any physical endeavor will be if there's a spiritual dimension to it. Because ultimately the physical world is only so big. It can only be successful for so long and the enduring experience is only so limited. That real bracha, real explicit, uh, we'll call it expansion, Stopped the moment Yerushalayim was destroyed. And that was, at the time that the Beis Midrash was around, it was almost like sort of the portal of access. For all spiritual bracha would come through that place, through that place to the rest of the world. So when a person is, is benching, what they're saying is they're, they're talking about Levels of success. If you think about the pyramid of needs, Hashem allows us to, to, to survive. <coughs> Hashem allows us to thrive. And Akash Baruch will open that portal of access, whether it be in the global world's eyes or in, a, in our personal lives where we can, uh, where we can access spiritual bracha. Rav Kook takes it one first step further. Rav Kook, in many ways, his, his machshava is an extension in so many ways of the maharal. There's so many, so many brilliant ideas that he says. And he says it's not just every individual is living this and thinks about these three dimensions of their, of their life. But actually, it's a historical progression in the reverse. The Gemara talked about how there was a historical progression from Moshe to Yeshua to David and Shlomo. Rav Cook says it's, it's the opposite in terms of, of our aspirations. And this is such a profound insight into history. He says the following in, in, the, in the fifth source. He talks about how in, in, in Source 5, at the top of the page, a little small writing, so we're not, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. He says, Voracious Kahakol, from the comma in the middle of the line. Sorry, this is in Olas Riyah, his commentary on the Siddur, on the benching. Voracious are called, Sorry, Chakiyum Hagufani, Biha Prati. First, a person needs physical survival. Then the movement is not about space, as the Maral talks about, but we'll call it thriving of not just my individual body, but. The national body needs to thrive. 
אנו צריכים להשכיל את היסיאסטוס צורסו הפרטיס של האומה בערך עולה עצמו לקיומו וצביונו. That needs to be establishment of what it looks like to be a nation again. ואחר תגיע על הצורה הכלליס בערכו לכל המון הגויים ברואי צלם אלוקים. אמנם במשך הגולוס חולב חורד כל אם אל אלה his avdus. his avdus I think that is. אחרי שאיננו נדכאים בהמון צורי ופיזורים נוראים שלא תיפוסד חלילה הצורה הפרטיס מהאומה. So what he says is, בקיצור, is the following. Is that through the process of Golos we've lost three things. And therefore the process of Geula is going to represent all of those three things. We've, lear- we've lost in a certain sense our own identity as, as people, as Jews. We've lost our national identity as a Jewish nation. And we've lost our spiritual identity as what it means to be the Jewish nation. And therefore, he says, in the process of Geula we're going to witness them in reverse. We're going to see, first of all, what it means to say that the Jews suddenly return to their identity. We're going to then see that they're going to reestablish the nation of Israel, by the way, connected on the land of Israel. But it's going to still be, at that point in time, devoid of spiritual content. And then on that platform, as Rav Cook always says, that's the first step. That's why he celebrated the Chalutzim. That's why he celebrated the people who risked their lives and gave their lives to make this land. In the, and, and people say, yes, it was irreligious people. And his answer is, yes, that is the steps towards Geula. Because the next bracha is Berachim. The next bracha is Yerushalayim. The next bracha is the spiritual content. First, we need to have the first two steps. What does it mean to be a Jew? What does it mean to be part of Klaus or even without religious identity? What does it mean to be part of a Jew who lives in the land and has a religious identity? So he views it as actually the historical progression back into the land of Israel, which is those three steps. We're not going to get into how both the Maharal and Rav Kook looked at the fourth bracha, because that's a, a Golistic bracha as to what HaTov HaMetiv is and why specifically that right now. Be it as a may. At this point in time, questions, question back on the table, and that is, is why is they were asking and requesting for a Yerushalayim at times specifically when the first base of Middash was being, being built, and the second base of Middash was being built. That's when the, the benching is talking, and that's when our Shemona Esra is talking. Why would we be asking at such t- uh, points in time? So as, Elie- <laughs> as Rabbi Eliezer correctly said, the first answer is, should, should be simple. The one way of looking at it is, is that the brachas turn changed over time. So for instance, the Rashbah, in his commentary on the Gemara in brachas, says the following. We're not going to read the whole, the whole of the Rashbah, but in Source 6, the Rashbah tells us, um, at the very, very end, um, in Source 6, I emboldened it, he says, He says, the Rashbah, when David Melech and Shlomo Melech were Mesake in this bracha, when they instituted this bracha, what was their bracha? Their bracha was Hashem, please preserve Yerushalayim. Please allow it to continue, allow Amalchus to be successful. What happened was that over time, that was no longer a relevant bracha because Yerushalayim simply wasn't there. So therefore, it was adapted to be what we talk about today, which is fill the void. There is no Yerushalayim, Hashem build Yerushalayim. Right? So therefore, there was a shift over history, which makes a lot of sense. Similarly, we could potentially answer, although the Rashba does not comment on the bracha of, Yer- of Yerushalayim Yerucha in the, in the, in the Shemona Esrei, potentially as well. It could have been that that bracha as well, over time, was adapted to because of the fact that we no longer had a Yerushalayim which, we were, which Hashem we, were, we, we, we had access to. Potentially answer number one. So Eliezer, check one, right? We're good. Okay, That's the, that, that, is, that is the Rashba. And the Rashbah makes a whole lot of sense. 
But let's take it further. There's another way of looking at this. And I heard murmurings. And, I, and the reason why the, the, this is a very important murmuring, and that is, is that I'd like to come back to one perspective, and that is Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. We've learned this a little bit beforehand, but he has a beautiful, beautiful piece, a beautiful essay at the, um, in Parashas Boy, in Perigud Beis, Pasuk Beis. And he asked the following. We learned this a little while back together. And that is the Ramban tells us that when we left Egypt, we changed the way we count our days. We changed the calendar. What did we do? Instead of counting from the time of creation, from the month of creation being the point of reference to the beginning of the year, which is Tishrei, we started counting our Chodesh Arishon from Exodus. And therefore, says the Ramban, enigmatically, he says, and similarly, when they left Bavel, when they left Babylon, they took with them the months of the Babylonian year. And so Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says, I just don't understand. He says, wait a second. When it came to leaving Egypt, counting from the Exodus was an expression of Geula. I'm counting from the time that I left behind Egypt. But when I'm counting the Babylonian names, I'm essentially not talking about my redemption. I'm remembering my exile. Right? You know, I believe the, the Osiric reactor, the whole area was called Tammuz 17. Right? They, 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 these are Babylonian names, folks. This is not, you know, it's not Jewish. When you're thinking about those names, and we still say them today, the Molad yesterday was announced on Sivan. Sivan is not a Jewish name. So why are we borrowing back to a time of Golos? It's not parallel, says Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. So his argument is the following. He quotes a Mishnah, and the Mishnah says in Yuma, it talks about at a certain time, in the, base, uh, he, he, the Mishnah says that the second base of Migdash, there were, there were a number of things that were lacking from the second base of Migdash. One of them was the Aaron. That means to say, in the Kodesh Kodashim, in the center of the base of Migdash, there was no Ark of the Covenant. And in fact, the Mishnah records that there was a particular Kohen in Mesechah Shkolem, in Perek Vav, Mishnah Aleph. It talks about there was a Kohen Echad, there was a young man who was looking at the base of Migdash, and he noticed that the tile work was a little off, and he wanted to investigate. He believed that maybe he found a special passageway to where the, 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 the lost ark was, and he died. And they realized, wait a second, maybe this is not the best thing to do, and they made a movie about this, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that means to say that they realized that it wasn't the right time to bring out the ark yet. And in fact, around all of this, around this whole discussion, is in fact also missing was the Shekhinah, and overt miracles, right? There was a, the, the second base of Migdash, was a much more diminished experience. So says Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, if you take a look at the very back of our notes today, the second to last page, it's, uh, the, this is the MS Lyakov, the bottom left corner I put a one, which is where he continues his thoughts, and he says the following, Nireh, She'oile Bavel, She'banu Esbaisasheni, those who built the second base of Midash, included among them, the Anshek Nesak Daila, Yodu Kiloi Zeh Habinyan Asher Yamod Lailamim, they knew this was not going to be it. They knew this was not going to be successful. This was not the ultimate redemption. It was provisional along the way to help us today in the year 2019 still survive throughout the, the 2000 year or the 1900 year Golos. They did not deserve. They did not deserve to go to leave Bavel. Bavel. 
They realized that there was such assimilation after the sim- small 70 years with the nations around them. It was clear as daylight that stay any longer. They realized they would no longer be able to hold on to their identity. There would be no one left to redeem. Therefore, Hashem returned them in a temporary way to the land of Israel. And He built them a new base of Mingdash. That they should be able to live and succeed in a very long and bitter exile, which is where we are today. That we should be inoculated from all the Tzoros of, of the Golos. And in order to emphasize the fact that they had not yet left the woods, that's why they did not bring out the Aaron into the second Besamidash. Which was the source of the Kedusha in the first Besamidash. Because it was not yet full. Now, by the way, he hasn't explained. So how is that? How is the second base of Mikdash that inoculation for the goddess? Meaning to say, like, it's, it's almost a teaser, right? You know, you can come back, but it's not the real deal. And you go out again. So what, what really happened during this time? So he says in a footnote, this is a very important footnote, he says, in 17, this is his Talmudian point out, that he, they quote him on Pirkei Avos. He also has a beautiful essay there. They needed the land of Israel in order to be able to reestablish the Torah Shabal Peh. Meaning, what Anshek Nesagdola were doing, the foundations of the Mishnah, ultimately were being laid at this point in time, where they needed to have, they needed to have a sovereign space to be able to do this, in order to create that, we'll call it framework, necessary to be able to survive Golas. They knew that no longer was it going to be that the ideas of Judaism, the fundamental underpinnings, could be in the hands of simply just leaders, individuals, Israel. It needed to be part of everybody. They said, you know, we can't just have meals. with. We can't eat the bread, the wine, all these the different zeros of non-Jews. We can't just eat these things, even if they're 100% kosher. So they made certain provisions that we wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't assimilate. And therefore he says, and by the way, it is a fascinating addition over here. He says that might be also a perspective, a perspective. Now, Rav Yaakov Karneski was by no means a Zionist, right? He was not, he was not, not, he did not come from that world. He says, but, the Torah does. 
Rosh Hashiva. But he says, but maybe that's a perspective to appreciate the land, the, uh, the, the, the land of Israel. Shlach ar-churban ar-godol v'ayush sheneechaz bekeru she'eris ha-pleitza. That after the terrible desolation which we witnessed, v'chein or matzavam ha-noash v'ha-aibud shel yahadus Rusia, and after the destruction of the Russian jury as well, sivah v'akodosh baruch es ha-kamaz v'nidna k'deh l'chazek es ha-zeus ha-yehudis l'kayem es ha-keshe shvein ha-yehadus ha-gola v'klal Yisrael. He says it was a sort of provision and ability to, now that's minimalistically. It what? That's why it's in the footnote. <laughs> so, but if you think about this, it's a remarkable perspective. It means it was our ability to be able to get through. It was the chizuk given necessary. That doesn't mean to say that it's not, it still means to say we're still in Golis, but it means to say that it's a step up. We're getting towards being able to, to be, hopefully, at the real Geula Shlema. Uh, but with this perspective, he says that's why it is, going back to the Ramban, that's why we adopted the names of the month of Bovel. Why? Specifically to educate people. But this is not, we've not, we're not out of the woods yet. We're still in Babylonian Golos, but we have an addition now. We're now we're in the land of Israel with the base of Migdash, as an example. He says, that's why as well as, come back to you, Eliezer, in the prophecies of Yechezkel, Yechezkel gave very specific instructions how to build the base of Migdash in the future. And when they built the base of Migdash at the times of Anshay Knesset at the times of Haggai and Zechariah, their floor plans were different to the ones that Yechezkel before him had given them. Wait a second. If Yechezkel told you how to build the base of Migdash, then listen to him. Why are you building something which looks different? <coughs> and the answer is, is they realized that they weren't at the times of Yechezkel yet. They realized that even though Yechezkel talked about this futuristic building, they were not yet at the end of the, uh, of, of the journey. And they were only at a provisional state, which is why they built the Beis HaMikdash as a much more smaller and modified version of the first Beis HaMikdash, not the third Beis HaMikdash, even when they were building it. Which may be why, if you think about it, yes, Anshekinos Zagdole were Masake and instituted the, the Brach of it could have been they were referring to a built Yerushalayim. But the Yerushalayim was still deficient. It was still deficient. It was missing the Shechina. It was missing the Aaron. It was missing the basic wherewithal of what it looked like in the Bayes Rishon. They knew they were still in Golis. So therefore they instituted a Brach which would reflect itself throughout all of Golis. That potentially is another way of looking at this. Let's take it one step further, because, uh, because at this point in time, I'm feeling rather depressed. <laughs> because yes, means that even when they were there saying the, 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 the bracha, they're still, we're still, even at that point in time, they were still missing it. So we looked at two ideas. Maybe the bracha itself adapted, was adapted over time to reflect the realities, as the Rashba suggests. Or potentially, it was coined at a time where they were still, even though they had the physical trappings and buildings of Yerushalayim, it looked remarkable. I mean, today when you go to Yerushalayim, it's, it's, it's never the same. You leave with it for a year today, it's a different Yerushalayim. Every time you come back, it's remarkable. Yerushalayim is flourishing, but it's still missing. It's still missing the inner core. Right? That's what they were experiencing at the same, at, at the same time, at the beginning of the Bayes uh, Shani. I think there's one, one other idea, and this is something I, I mentioned briefly at Shalash Shulis yesterday, but I think it's a, to me, is, is, is a remarkable idea. And that is, is that although Judaism values Yerushalayim, at, at the center, the epicenter of everything that we talk about, in the end of the day, the Torah never really actually identifies Yerushalayim specifically. The Vimeng Suvim, it's replete hundreds, thousands of times does the Torah talk about it. But in the Torah itself, there are vague references. And we learned, we spent some time a few years ago looking at all those vague references and how they come together to express Yerushalayim itself. In fact, in, when the Torah talks about going to this place, you're going to bring Korbanos, it says, You shall go to Yerushalayim, find this place, and that's when you're going to bring your Korbanos. But tell us where that place is. 
Why can't we? Why doesn't the Torah specifically tell us where that place is? We're waiting. We're on the cusp. We're on Arvos Moab. We're on the steps of Moab, looking into the land of Israel. Tell us where that place is. Why is it this vague reference? And so the, of course, the Ramah Memorial Nevuchim tells us a basic pragmatic step, and that is, is that the moment that the non-Jews know where the center of Judaism what ha- is, what happens? They all take it. Look at it today. You put a camera up in the corner, and there's riots. Right? It's probably the most contested piece of real estate in the entire known world. Right? So Hashem says, I'm going to make sure that you're going to get into the land of Israel first. Once you've settled down, you conquered the land, then I'll tell you where it is. We're not going to let anybody else go and put their flags there. Right? And by, and, and by the way, once we left, that's what exactly what happens. Right? This, even in the, in the times of the second base of the the Samaritans who weren't Jewish were quite happy to, let's do a joint project here. You know, we'll be a joint venture. We'll all sacrifice to our gods together. And the Jews said, no, thank you. And that's when they started sending letters to Persia. Right? It's, it's been a problem. Ever since, Hashem said he wanted to avoid that problem beforehand, which is why he made it vague. The Ramam also says maybe it was about the, not about the non-Jews, it was about us. Because imagine, we're all standing on the, on the, the banks of the, of the Jordan, there's 12 tribes, and, and they're Jews. And Hashem says to them, you know, that there's going to be this amazing place. It's going to be, you know, the portal of access between the spiritual and the physical. And everybody says, but where did you say whose, whose portion was it in exactly? <laughs> so what's going to happen? There's going to be an onslaught. Everybody's going to run in, you know, it'll be like the gold rush, you know. <laughs> the, the Jordan will split, and everybody will be running straight to Yerushalayim with their tribal flag. So uh, there's, there's one extra dimension, that is, is like this. Is that the, the process of moving to your, your, towards Yerushalayim, as is described in, the, in, in Dvarim, when it talks about this, L'shichno Sidrashu Vosashama, the word he uses, L'shichno Sidrashu. Drisha means to say, what's how do you translate that word? Seeking, Right? Yerushalayim is always meant to be sought out. Yerushalayim is meant to be the eternal journey towards it and never really quite arriving. Which is why, by Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu had the same process. Hashem says to him, Lech l'chol Eretz Amoriah, take your son to his land, the land of Amoriah, v'aleu shom l'ola alachad heorim, asher omar elecho. It's going to be one of the... Na- Hashem couldn't give him the, the GPS address for the ways. He could have just like made it a little simpler. The answer is no. Yerushalayim is always a process of moving towards it's always a place of seeking out further. Even at the times where Yerushalayim, we had Yerushalayim, we never quite arrived. Yerushalayim is always distant. Yerushalayim is always a mountaintop we are moving towards. It's never quite there. That's what it means. Even at the times the Beis Midrash was there, David Melech and Shlomo Melech had it. It was always about Bonei Yerushalayim. What tense is Bonei Yerushalayim in ultimately? It's in the present tense. It means to say Yerushalayim is always regenerating. It is always growing. It is always being elevated. That is the process of Yerushalayim. In fact, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has a beautiful book called Future Tense. And uh, he has a few essays. This is a comment on it. And he points out that Judaism is always a forward-looking religion. He has a, he has a quote for it. It is no accident that so many Jews are economists fighting poverty or doctors fighting diseases or lawyers fighting injustice, in all cases refusing to see things as inevitable. Listen to this remarkable quote, this next line. It is no accident that after the Holocaust, Jews did not call it al-Nakba, nursing resentment and revenge, but instead, instead turned to the future, building a nation whose national anthem is Atik for the hope. It is no accident that Judaism has been opposed by every empire and sought to deny people the freedom to be equal but different. It is no accident that Israel is today the only free society in the Middle East. Judaism is a religion of details, but we miss the point if we do not sometimes step back and see the larger picture. 
To be a Jew is to be an agent of hope in a world serially threatened by despair. Every ritual, every mitzvah, every symbol, every syllable of the Jewish story, every element of the Jewish law is to protest against escapism, resignation, or the blind acceptance of faint. Judaism is a sustained struggle, the greatest ever known against the world that is, in the name of the world that could be, should be, but is not yet. There is no more challenging vocation. Throughout history, when human beings have sought hope, and they have found it in a Jewish story. Judaism is the religion, and Israel the home of hope. In the words of Rav Mank, on the Siddur, when describing the Birkas Hamazon, this is actually quoted in the Siv Bina, he says the following, Harav, uh, Harav Mank, the Pirushoy Alo Azibas Le Siddur says, Meir al Azmanim Shalem Musabim Abrochois. Esar Abai, he says the following, quote, Habrocha Rishana, the first Brocha in Birkas Hamazon, he kula bizman hoveh, is all about present, we're being sustained. Hashnia Beloshan Avar, the second one is about, you gave us the land, that's in the, that's in the past. The third bracha is, is a focus on the future. When we talk about Bonnie Yerushalayim, even when we're in Yerushalayim, it's always about the future. Because in Judaism, we never arrive. We continue to aspire, we continue to grow. Yes, we've seen remarkable growth, but folks, we never for one minute rest on our laurels. We continue to dive, we continue to aspire, and therefore the statement is always true. Even when we know Yerushalayim is the Sheikh Nasidrashu, we continue seeking there to find deeper, even if not geographically different. Which Emetz Hashem should be a time where we see the Geula Shleim Ebein Reher Yameinu. Rabbi Chanan Ben Akasha Omar Atzal Kodesh Baruch Hu Lizakoy Sizrael Nafiyah Chirbolim Tzarim Shushnei Maradonoi Chavetz Amantzikoy Agdil Tzarav Yadir.